Welcome to Coach House Talks. Well, it's good to see you all today. We are returning our our eyes upon and our hearts, our focus on the big picture. We've had a little bit of a, a break last week. But before I move on, how good was last week? I mean, we're looking at the big picture and in, turn, in comes a missionary who we know nothing about, who knows nothing about what we're trying to do and presents from start to finish, Jesus beginning, middle and end. And I'm sitting there just going, this is just great. I could just knock this on the head and let's not bother doing any of this because he's just done it in a, such a profound and beautiful way. So I just want to say, you know, from, from my point of view, just how good last week was and how blessed we were with a missionary speaker who just told us the span of the entire gospel story about Jesus. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful. But a little personal story. On uh, the 21st of July... 1990, um, I remember standing at the front of this church, about here, like this, actually. <laughs> like that. 32 years ago. And I remember standing there and being asked if I would promise to have and to hold in sickness and in health for richer, for poorer, until death do us part, as part of my marriage vows to to Melanie. Now, my answer to those vows, if I remember correctly, was, I will. And at no point do I remember Mel or I being asked to answer for each other's vows with, you will. Now, that's really important, okay? Because we enter into this relationship binding promise by our own volition. I didn't force Melanie to love me. And Melanie certainly didn't force me to love her. We loved each other because we did. And we entered into a relationship, a covenant relationship, to mutually work together to bring about something good, something right, a right relationship, and a good standard by which other people will look at us and go, that's a good marriage. Now, I'm not saying we've managed to do that all the time, but hopefully that's what we're trying to do. Now, the reason I say all this is because we're about to look at a very important aspect of God's Word, covenants, the backbone of the Bible, how God relates to us and how we relate to God. Now, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, means instruction. So the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are collectively called the Torah or instruction. They're an instruction manual. They tell us about God and what his character is like. They teach us about God's interactions with man and the instructions on how we maintain a relationship that we have entered into. They reveal God's character to us, which sets the scene for everything we need to know about God throughout Scripture. We cannot interpret Scripture without understanding God's character as revealed to us in the first five books. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he sets a standard for us that does not change, even today. 
our relationship, our covenant relationship with God is duty-bound. Now, covenant helps us to see how special and set apart we are. We're set apart for good. Covenant helps us to understand the why of God's relationship with us. There are different kinds of covenant. So before we kind of go too far in, there are different kinds of covenant, and most are confirmed with a sign. So if you make a promise, you give it that promise and sign it with a sign. My marriage to Mel is a mutual covenant. Okay, It's a covenant of parity. We are both on a level. We both have equal standing and promise to live our lives upholding the vows to each other. Now, we understand the Bible tells us there are levels of submission and all those kind of things, but our covenant is one of parity. We both decide that we are going to give ourselves to each other, and these are the rules by which we will abide. And we both, and then went like that, we both wear rings <laughs> as signs of that promise, okay? Mel wears a ring on her finger, I wear a ring on my finger, and every time I look at that, it reminds me that I'm bound. I'm sorry, that I'm, it, rem, it reminds me that we've entered into a promise to love one another. And it doesn't matter whether my life goes up or down, or for richer or poorer, and so on and so forth. That tells me and tells her that I love her, that those vows that I made, I meant them, Okay? However, the covenants that God makes with us cannot be viewed as covenants of parity. I need you to understand this. They're not covenants of parity. God, who is all-powerful, holy and righteous, is my King and Lord. I am not his equal, and yet he still longs to make covenant with me. And because of God's kingship, he makes the terms of that covenant with me. I'm just called to obey it. The king calls the shots. Okay? It's not one that I'm going to God saying, well, you must do this now that we're in a relationship together. No. I've done it because I see how good God is and how much he loves me. And I just submit to that. I'm just called to be obedient. So, Let's just remind ourselves of our timeline. Oh, that's a nice picture. Catches me out when I turn around and see the pictures. Let's remind ourselves of our timeline and fill in a few details of the covenants so far that we've seen, even in the brief sojourn through Genesis. Although not explicitly a covenant, God gave the earth to Adam and to Eve, a place to be fruitful and to multiply working in partnership and in relationship with God to do so. Just don't eat from the one tree, okay? Just the one thing. Just don't eat from that one tree. Everything else is there for your goodness. Everything else is there for you to enjoy. My relationship with you is absolutely complete. Just don't eat from that tree. Just don't eat from that tree. That's the one thing. God made another promise to Adam and Eve in their darkest hour. When they decided to take from the fruit, when they decided to eat from the tree... When they were deceived, God made another covenant. As they broke the first covenant, Genesis 3.15, an unconditional covenant is given to them that the offspring of the woman would bring about a crushing blow to Satan. There was no conditions. 
just an absolute promise that Satan would be defeated. However, this covenant came with a sign, and that sign was death. Man, from now on, was going to die. And it was a sign of that covenant, and somehow God has entered into this covenant, and now everything that's going to happen is to stand by that covenant, to bring about a salvation for us, and to renew the status that we've set aside. And God promises to do it. Next, the promise is given to Noah as a rescuer during the worldwide flood, a flood that dealt with the outside visible problems that man had and still has, but failed to deal with the internal issue of sin and obedience. Even in the face of man's wickedness, God showed grace and mercy in preserving Noah and his family. Why? Why did he do it? Have you ever stood there, you taken a step back and said, why did God decide to save Noah and his family? What was that about? Surely he's been as wicked as everyone else. Well, we know that that's the case. Sin abounds everywhere. He wasn't free from sin. But God has already made a covenant promise to Adam. And if he destroys everybody, where does the seed that's going to come that will destroy Satan come from? He can't break his covenants. God is a God of promise. Now, there are lots of people who will try and say the Old Testament's of no value, that there's nothing in there that's of any value now. We're under new laws and grace and everything else. But we need to understand how God's character works in order for us to understand why we can submit to him. After the flood, God makes a promise to never again flood the earth. And what does he confirm it with? A sign. The sign is a rainbow. And we still look at a rainbow nowadays, don't we? And we still see the beauty of a rainbow. And it still reminds us, actually, that's a promise that God's got over us. There it is. In black, well, I was going to say in black and white. It's not in black and white. <laughs> in all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> but man, even though we see this beautiful rainbow, we still turn away from God in wickedness. And yet God still remains faithful and committed to his promises over us. Now, today I want us to look at a covenant that he made with Abraham. Now, just a quick reminder on how we should view the Genesis narrative as we pass through it, as we walk our way through it. Johnny's going to finish it off for us next week. He's got 25 chapters to do. I've got, I've got 13. He's got 25. But in order for us to understand how we should view the Genesis narrative, just, just a quick just a note, really, on how we should view it. The events of Genesis are written in the main by Moses as inspired by God. Okay, Moses was not around at the time. He was just told of the events later and told to write them down so that we would have them. So, if that's the case, we can assume that only the information required has been included. Yes? Because God's telling him to write down what he's telling him to write down. Not things that are not there. This is important because the key information reveals what we're supposed to see. And everything in there is there for what we will need. Okay? Most of the flow is to reveal God's character to us 
which helpfully never changes. How many times have we kind of struggled with the detail of what we don't understand that some passage means in Genesis 6 or Genesis 7 or Genesis 8, when actually what we should do is take a step back and go, God's given us everything we need to know. We don't need to delve into much more. God has given us everything that we need to know. We're often given an overview of events in Genesis, followed by a zoom in. Okay, so when you read, you'll notice that, that chapter 2 of Genesis talks about man's creation. No, is that right? Genesis 1 tells you about man being created. But chapter 2 then zooms in on that creation account of man alone. And then chapter 3 is devoted to the fall. So the question is not how did all of that happen, but why did God do it? And God chose to make mankind and have relationship with mankind. And the first few chapters of Genesis tell us that. When we get to chapter 10 and chapter 11, two very confusing chapters because they are wrong way around, okay? Because chapter 10 tells you how all of the nations of the earth scatter with their different languages. And then chapter 11 talks about the Tower of Babel. So what it's doing is saying, this is what happened. Here's a zoom in how it happened. Okay, this is what I caused to happen. This is how I did it. Actually, it would read better for us if we flipped them over. But that's not the way that they would write or the literature came down to them. They understood this zoom in process, this overall picture, then a zoom in on a bit of detail. They understand that. So we read it and go, oh, that's strange. They've all got their own languages. And now we're talking about a Tower of Babel where they speak one language. And now they're getting split into all these languages again. Flip them over, it makes much more sense. So, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which we've covered broadly, cover a broad sweep of history. And as a result, they will not contain all the detail we might like to see in there. They contain a very broad worldview. But they serve to show us how consistent God is in his dealings with man. It shows something else. How inclined we are to be evil. That's what it's trying to show us. God's consistent love and our persistent turning away. And as we arrive at chapter 12, this expansive view begins to close down onto one man, Abraham. No, or Abraham. Now, we don't know why God chose Abraham, but we do know some facts about him. We know that his father, Terah, was an idol worshipper. Okay, so we can assume that his background is one of idol worship, not one of contesting for God at all. Joshua 24, verses 2 to 4 says, Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abram and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates, and I led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir. And while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. The seed promised to Adam and Eve that would cause the defeat of Satan can now be clearly identified and followed as we zoom in to the family of Abraham, who God specifically chose and called out from idol worship, from the culture of idol worship, 
he was set apart for God. Now, we hear words like that about us, don't we? We are set apart. We are chosen. We are special. Abraham was set apart from a culture of idol worship, specifically chosen by God in order to fulfill all the promises of covenant that he'd made to Adam and Eve and to Noah as well. Okay, going through. And this was to secure that covenant. See, one of the aspects of the Bible which gives me great comfort and should give you great comfort as well is that the faults and failures of the main characters are often laid bare for us all to see. God does not hide it. The Bible does not sugarcoat us. It doesn't say, oh, well, we'll make excuses for them. It just tells us what we've done wrong all the time, our failings all the time. The Bible doesn't hide away from the wrongdoings that we do. It doesn't hide away from our character flaws. But instead, God uses those failures to highlight his goodness in stark contrast to it. God is the hero of this story, not me or any of the characters that have been chosen out. God is the hero of the story. And it's covenant promise that underpins all that he does with mankind, his dealings with us. Abraham has a covenant promise to given, given to him. Genesis 12, verse 1. God says this to him. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now this covenant is revealed progressively to Abraham throughout chapters 12, 15 and 17. And it includes promises of family, promises of land and promising, promises of blessing. And there's a sign. There's a sign that comes with it. The men start to wince because the sign is circumcision. Here is something that shows to everybody else that you are set apart, that you have been called out and you have been marked for special blessing. Okay? However, because this Bible tells us all of the character traits and things we get wrong, Abraham didn't get everything right. We know that from what we've got in front of us. And that should be a comfort to us, shouldn't it? It's not an excuse to go out and get things wrong, but it is, does or does, show you how God works with us. Abraham didn't get everything right, even though he had all of this interaction going on with him. A covenant confirmed three times. Lots of interaction with God himself. And yet Abraham still didn't get everything right. And I suppose Abraham does what we try and do many times. Let's help God out. God's given us a promise. Let's help him out with it. It'll be all right. He's on our side. But we're called to be patient and persevere for the fulfillment of God's promises. Hebrews 10, 36 tells us just that. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. We don't walk straight into a promise. Abraham was often shown to be questioning God's timing and provision during the 13 chapters that cover his life in Genesis. Most noticeably, when he bypassed God's promise of a son through his Sarah, 
in his old age. Trying to help out God, Sarah suggests that Abraham has a son with Hagar, his Egyptian slave servant girl, which results in the birth of Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the seed of promise. This is the bit we need to understand. It's not Ishmael. That's not who the promise was made to. Here's why. We are told at the beginning of Abraham's account of the nature of his relationship with Sarah. The Bible puts all the facts in front of us if we care to read them. Genesis 11, 31. Here's the description of Terah and his family coming out of Ur. One day, Terah took his son, Abraham, his daughter-in-law. Hang on a second. Why, why make that assumption? Why make that connection that's his daughter-in-law? They're married. One day, Terah took his son, Abraham, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, in brackets, his son, Abraham's wife, just to make it very clear to you, and his grandson, Lot, his son, Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. Twice, God has told you what the covenant relationship is between Abraham and Sarai. It's implicit that Abraham and Sarah, who later were renamed Abraham and Sarah, were man and wife together. Whoa. And this is really important. Therefore, the promise that God made to Abraham is also implicit that his offspring that is promised to Abraham will come from this marriage. And it's that offspring that will bring blessings to the whole world. Now, I want to note something. It's worth noting that when God called time on the world in chapter 6, before the flood, it was because of the degeneration of mankind in terms of sexual relationship. Read it. We might want to know all the detail. We might want to try and understand all that. But I've already told you, you're not going to get all that detail. You're told what you need to know. And what you need to know is sexual relationships went absolute down the pan. Man decided to do whatever he wanted. And God went, Enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm starting again. We see the same thing when Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. Think about the story. What, 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 what's happening in that story when God finally destroys Sodom and Gomorrah? The men knocking on the door saying, bring out those angels so that we can have sex with them. That shows you how far man falls down and it's sex and sexual relationships which are often the tool by which we are twisted and reveals our deep-seated problem in our hearts. But in the midst of all of this going on, we see God's big picture. Jesus comes from the true family, the true family line of Abraham and Sarah, through Isaac and his son Jacob, and then through Judah. Follow the seed, and you will see Clearly, God's protection, preservation, and blessing in order to keep his covenant promise of a saviour that you and I have access to. None of this makes sense without God's promises in the first place. And the crazy thing about the whole story of God's preservation, and this again gives me hope and it should give you hope, the whole story of God's preservation of the seed is that God does not choose the impressive, the good-looking, or the strongest, but he often chooses the weakest 
and those whose heart actually is full of doing stuff and nonsense, which you wouldn't think would be a character trait of somebody who's going to be a great hero of Scripture. Judah is a, certainly one of those. The whole point is to reveal that it is God who maintains control and sovereignty. It's his will that is being done. Now, we can get somewhat misled by translations that we hold as well. Oh, this is, this is going to be quite uh, tricky now, isn't it? Because I'm calling into question some of the things that we might read. But we can be deceived by reading or the wrong reading of Scripture. Abraham is promised that his seed will bless all nations. Various words are used in different translations for that word, seed. Offspring, descendants, etc. But this can be confusing for us, as the Hebrew term is seed, which can be singular or plural. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, is at pains to make out that God made a specific promise that the blessing comes through the singular promised seed, Isaac, which led to Jesus. Galatians 3, 16 and 17, his letter to the Galatian church. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. We cannot trace anything back through Ishmael or anyone else. Singular seed, singular promise, singular promise of a saviour. Not all roads lead to Rome. Not all religions lead to God. One singular road, one promise through Isaac of a saviour who will be Jesus. Now, the other takeout from Paul's letter to the Galatians church is that he's also written... Sorry, let me carry on the rest of that, so... That is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be cancelled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promises. So the other takeout we can take from this is that he is reiterating to the church that covenants do not replace other covenants. They ratify them or they sit alongside them. They make sense of them. God does not and has never changed his mind. I'm going to be controversial once again. Jesus brings in a new covenant, by which, is the, which is the means by which Abraham's covenant is fulfilled. A better covering has been given to us. Now, we've seen this stereotyped all the way through already, haven't we? Fig leaves, no, not good enough. Have some animal skins. Yeah? We see it all the time. Jesus brings in a new covenant by which this covenant, Abraham's covenant is fulfilled. Genesis 15. Verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Romans 4, 25 gives you a bit more detail on that. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the better covering the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. It's all one plan. From start to finish, it's always been one plan. Jesus is our better covering. Now, I thought at one time that Jesus 
was God's plan B. If I'm honest, it just seems to make sense to me. God had to change his plans because man went his own way, but that simply is not the case. God's plan for redemption and restoration was always, and still is, plan A. There is no other plan. He's not going to forego on this one. He's not going to go, you know, this one's not working. Let's try again with another one. This is it. And it's always been this plan from day one. But I thought like this because Scripture seems to tell me, if I take it in isolation, that I can somehow change God's mind. A case in point appears in the story of Abraham and Lot. And Lot's rescue from Sodom. It seems that Abraham manages to bargain down God somehow. You know, he, there's, a, there's a conversation that goes on that says, you know, if you find 50 righteous people in Sodom, would you, uh, would you save them all? Yes. Well, what about 40 then? Yes. What about 30? Yes. What about 20? Yes. What about 10? Yes. What about one? Yes. Because God, our whole Bible tells us, is God of justice. Everything has to be dealt with and will be dealt with. But the righteous will be saved. Come on, church, we're righteous. We're covered. We've got Jesus' blood. We are the righteous ones. We will be saved. So it seems that Abraham's managing to bargain down God. But in reality, what we're seeing is God's justice. He will always preserve the righteous and protect them from destruction. Always. This is a theme that shall fill us with great hope. And we'll see it time and time again in the Bible. Why did he pick Noah? Because he was without sin? No, because he was righteous. Because he believed God's promises. He stuck it out for 100 years building a boat in the desert when they'd never seen rain. He was righteous. His heart proved. What he was doing in his heart proved his relationship. What we deserve is not what we get. And we are found to be righteous in Christ and we don't get what we deserve. The counter to this, of course, is that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah should persuade us that God will and always will act against wickedness and anyone not under his protection. They will face destruction. The sheep and the goats will be separated. The wheat and the weeds will be separated, even if they've grown up together. God's honor is at stake if we persuade ourselves that we can bargain with God, a holy God. His justice will always prevail. God's promises and means of fulfillment are there for all to see. The seed of Abraham, Jesus, will cause all nations to be blessed. All nations. So the promise to Abraham was not that, oh, just your line of people. But your seed will be used to bless all nations, all the world, all of us. We eventually come into covenant promise through Jesus. The incident with Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, the son of promise, serves to show us the uniquely privileged position that God has with us. We do nothing but obey, and God provides, blesses, and restores. 
God provides our covering, our substitute, and our sacrifice in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And as we journey through the Bible, we'll see how God continues to be faithful, even if Israel, and by association us, are not. And I think one of the biggest demonstrations of this is when God asked the prophet Hosea to remain faithful to a wife who's a prostitute. This was done so that Hosea would understand and see what God's heart was like when faithful Israel just kept wandering away and having sex with whoever she wanted. And God was pointing out to Hosea, I want you to understand how I feel because I'll never stop loving. I'll never stop chasing. I'll never stop wanting relationship even though she keeps going away and prostituting herself and doesn't want anything to do with me. God remains in front of us. God remains pulling us towards him. God remains a God of promise. We are called out by a holy God to become holy. That's, out, that's what God wants of us. And he doesn't ask us out ourselves to do it. He gives us the Holy Spirit in order to do it. Israel was called out to be a representative of God to the nations that eventually will be called into the inheritance of God. We as a church have a new covenant, okay? We hold two big covenants in our hands, the old covenant and the new covenant, okay? Because basically testament means covenant as well. Promises, old promises and new promises. A new covenant has been given to us. The church secured by Jesus' blood, has an equally important role to show God's love to all around us. We are not bound by the sign of Abraham's covenant, as Paul and Peter are at pains to tell the Gentile church. We have a new covenant and also a new sign. We have a new sign given to us. The Holy Spirit within us is the guarantee of our blessing and protection and the guarantee of our new covenant that we have entered into through the acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice, the better covering, the covering that covers all of us and makes us righteous when we call upon his righteousness to cover us. And that's the big picture. It's what we see in all of this covenant promise. God has still entered into covenant promise with us, his church today, but it comes through Jesus the promised seed of Abraham's covenant that would be used to bless all nations of the world. How privileged are we? I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to take in there and we've covered and rushed through quite a lot of stuff. But God's promises to you are covenant promises and he does not, and scripture will tell you, and you can look at scripture, you can look at all of the covenants. They never get broken Never. God stands by them. And God stands by his promise to you and I as a church. If we are covered by Jesus' blood, you are in covenant relationship and covenant promise with God the Father who will bring you through to the end. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.